Welcome to Body Talk with Bex. In this first episode, I will be discussing my background, my own health history, and the struggles that brought my upbringing. There should be a pretty basic outline as we'll be discussing things in more detail in future episodes. All right, let's get started. Rebecca Carla, go by Bex. I'm from Santa Cruz, California, and I was born with bladder astrophy. I went to a few different private schools before I started homeschooling in high school, and I went to community college where I got an AA in dance before I went to California State Long Beach and got a BA in English. Um, After school, I did spend a little time traveling around and trying to figure out where I wanted to land. I spent a year in Virginia before traveling and settling in Seattle, Washington. All right, so as I just mentioned, I was born with bladder astrophy. Uh, In just a quick little description of what that is, it's a birth defect in which the bladder forms outside of the body. There are three different types of the disorder that all vary in severity. Most commonly affected is the urinary tract, the digestive system in some cases, as well as the reproductive organs. This defect is fairly rare. It is listed on the rarediseases.org. It occurs once in about every 10,000 to 50,000 live births. And males are affected two to three times more often than females are. So when I was born, my bladder was inside out and my pelvic bone wasn't fully formed. My first surgery lasted about five hours when I was two days old. And my parents had to wrap my legs together for the first few months to aid my pelvic bone um, in finishing forming. My mom called me her little mermaid, and my dad used to call me his little burrito. This was back in 1992 when I was born, and research back then for bladder extrophy was, for the most part, lacking. The research that was available to doctors wasn't always accurate, as studies had only been done at this point on males with bladder astrophy, and then these findings were applied to both males and females alike for some reason, even though females don't have the same anatomy. The first specialist in urology that I saw was a Stanford doctor. We'll leave her unnamed as tarnishing anyone's reputation is not the purpose of this at all. She went by the book with everything, which is okay. That's her job, and that's what she did. But that also meant she wasn't a great doctor either. She wasn't really willing to go the extra mile to help her patients. She was okay using research done on males and applying it to the female body. This unfortunately wasn't her only fault though. Her treatment of my mom wasn't what I would call appropriate for a doctor. Um, Her bedside manner was non-existent for the most part. Um, My mom nicely 
uh, calls her cold. She would ask how things are going at home, um, just in general, with me growing up and trying to be potty trained. And my mom would tell her that sometimes it would seem that I would feel it coming on and I would try to hold it as, as much as I possibly could and race to the bathroom and seem to make it. And the doctor told her that that was impossible. That's any anyone with bladder estrophy would never be able to do that. So whatever my mom was seeing was wrong and that parents sometimes saw what they wanted to see in their kids. I have so many issues with this. Uh, how could she tell my mom that what she was seeing was wrong? Was she there to see it? I, I, and just giving no hope to the parent at all in giving their child a normal life at all. I mean, just dashing that right off the bat. Um. Sadly, this was not the worst experience we ever had with her. Um, I'm not going to go into it right now, but if you really want to know, I do have an article posted on the website that does detail a few other of her uh, shortcomings, shall we say. So at this point, I was about two and a half years old when my mom and my Aunt Jean, her younger, or excuse me, her older sister, my mom's older sister, um, she used to go to all of our doctor appointments, whether they were in California or out of state, which is where we wound up going. Um, and we walked out of that Stanford clinic one time and just after a truly horrible appointment. And both of them just looked at each other and said, we're never going back there. We're just not. So at this point, I'm... I think, again, I just said I'm two and a half years old. My mom started asking out um, to my pediatrician and to one of her sisters who lives in Seattle about the children's hospital up, up here and um, just did her own sort of web sleuthing online. Um, again, this is back in 1992, so, you know, Google hadn't been invented yet and Bing.com and all those great search engines that we use nowadays to find all of our information weren't there. So she was an excellent web sleuth. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where she got her information online, but all three sources came back to the same name. Dr. Michael Mitchell at the Seattle Children's Hospital was the go-to guy for bladder astrophy specifically in females. He was the leading researcher in this field. So that's that's what my mom did. She flew us from the Bay Area, California, all the way up to Seattle, Washington to meet him for the first time. And just from the first appointment, it, everything was different. Everything was different. She She told me that the first time we met him. We were in the patient room and he came in and he was notorious for always wearing bow ties that uh, always had tons of personalities. So we would always play games growing up, guessing what type of bow tie he'd be wearing that day, whether it be stripes or polka dots or crazy colors, or one time he had sailboats on his bow tie. Always looking spiffy. But point being, he walked in, already had that kind of character to him and charisma. And before he even 
spoke to my mom or my dad, he turned to me and greeted me. And, you know, I, two and a half years old, I'm not really tracking. I can't really speak and tell him, but he still made the point of saying hello to me and chatting with me and seeing how my trip to Seattle was. And then he turned into the same to my parents. And this is something that, you know, the Stanford doctor had never done before. She had never walked into a room and ever given me any attention. It had always been directly to my parents and then whatever test she needed to do. She never took the time to make any of us feel welcome or safe in her care, which I think as a doctor is something that you should really want to do. Uh, At this point as well, so two and a half years old, with so many medical problems, my mom had never been shown any of my x-rays or ultrasounds. Um, She had no idea what was going on internally for me. You know, she had no visuals in her mind of anything that anyone had ever shown her. And when we walked into that patient room, this doctor had already obtained all of these test results and pictures from Stanford and had hung them in the little, you know, light-up slots that they put x-rays and ultrasounds on in the walls. He had them in chronological order, and once we were ready to begin, he went through every single one of them with my parents, pointing out different things that had grown since I was born, um, different things that would need fixing, just really kind of showing her visually how everything looked and worked. So from the get-go, he was really very different, a very different experience seeing him than it was his first doctor. He really seemed to care about his patients and making sure that we understood what was going on and uh, wanted to give us the most normal lives that we could have. So we, of course, saw him until I turned 18 and he actually wound up retiring um, at that point. So we, we saw him all the way up until his retirement. And he was, as I mentioned earlier, a lead researcher in this field. So the entire time that I knew him, he was always pushing the level of research and knowledge that doctors had surrounding um, females who have bladder extrophy. So I, I was always in the point where he was, you know, using the newest and the best either technology or drugs available to him. He used what was called a deflux on me. Um, that was kind of new at the time, and I guess now it's actually pretty, pretty commonly used, um, I think in plastic surgery, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> But he used that to help with a lot of reflex that I was having from my ureters to my kidneys, which can cause lots of infections. So when that was brand new, uh, he had access to it and would use it on us and would kind of monitor what was working, what wasn't, did it need more or less, Um, does it wear off at a certain point, Um, does he have to go in and do injections once a year, those types of things. And then um, when I was 11, I had a pretty major surgery. Um, It's something that he kind of came up with. Um, And so I guess what really, really happened was when I, I went in when I was 11, 
um, during the holiday season, and he was going in to do a pretty commonplace surgery for anyone with bladder estrophy. And when he got in there, he realized that things weren't really in the right spots. Um, I guess when I was put together, when uh, I was at Stanford, when I was first born, and they had put me together with the assumption that they were going to continue you, you to use any findings that they had on males on me. So I was set up for surgeries that I was not going to have anymore. So he had to back out of that surgery. And over that summer, he went back and he reset up my entire body, <laughs> all of my insides to be what he deemed uh, how it should have been done the first time for a female. And that in involved, you know, splitting my abdominal muscles and making sure I had them on both sides instead of one side. And he wound up moving the placement of the ureters from the bottom of my bladder to the top, which is, um, this would help with how much I would be able to hold in my bladder before I had to use the bathroom, as well as it would prevent uh, more reflux up from the bladder to the kidneys. So this really helped um, prevent having urinary tract infections, essentially. And then he also created what is called a Mitrofenoff channel. Um, this is done for pe people who have bladder estrophy who have trouble emptying out their entire bladder when they use the bathroom. Um, they install usually a Mitrofenoff channel so that they can cath and not have to go in through the typical channels that everyone knows of that you cath through. Um, so I, this was technically what was my belly button at the time. It was actually a channel so I could stick a, stick a tube <laughs> essentially down my belly button and it would go down, um, through the belly wall and into the bladder and it would void out the rest of anything that was in there that needed to come out. Um, which again also will help prevent infections if you are making sure that you're voiding entirely. You don't have anything sitting in there and growing bacteria when it doesn't need to. So he did a lot that summer and uh, we wound up, he wound up monitoring me. I was in the hospital for a week Right after the surgery, it was estimated probably about two weeks in a hospital, two weeks outside of the hospital in the hotel, but still in Seattle before I could go home. And uh, I wound up only being one week in the hospital because I wanted to not be in, in the hospital in the summer. <laughs> um, I do remember pretty vividly every time I saw him walk by the, in the hall, even when he wasn't coming to check on me, I would kind of push myself up and stand up and ask him, what can I do to get out of here um, and go be a kid during the summer? But anyways, that was when I was 11 and um, he wound up kind of watching and seeing, you know, how I recovered from that as the Mitrofenoff was fairly new as well. So he was keeping a close eye on how I was healing from that, and there were some tubes that were left in um, post-op that were supposed to have been left in, um, but he wasn't really sure when he should be pulling them out or not, so that was kind of a, he was going off of, you know, a hypothesis, and 
essentially um, it was left in a little bit too long and I had a kidney infection and that's another really long story for another time but that whole summer wound up going to being in and out of the hospital and all those sorts of things. I I do have a very vivid memory of July 4th. Um, I was so sick I couldn't even make it up to the rooftop of the hospital to watch the fireworks with everybody else on my floor. And so my mom rented um, the movie Babe from the Children's Center and we watched that in my little room room together and that was my 4th of July. Yeah, and uh, in addition to all of the, you know, immediate issues that bladder estrophy causes for, you know, newborn babies and children dealing with the aftermath and growing up with things, um, it does cause a few other, you know, defects that we have to look out for, um, not defects, but issues to look out for, like uh, latex allergies have been linked to people who were born with bladder estrophy. So, they always used a latex precaution for me whenever I was in surgeries. So no latex gloves or anything like that for doctors. Um, later in my adult life, it was confirmed. Yes, I do have an allergy to latex. <laughs> um, another thing to look out for with this birth defect, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it doesn't just affect the bladder. It can affect, um, you know, your in- intestines um, as well as all of the sexual organs. Um, so I'm not totally positive what the guys go through, but I know I, I had some problems. I actually had to have a reconstruction surgery done when I was 18. Um, for a long time, you know, I had a lot of tests done where they would stick a tube up through there and, you know, they always thought I was ultra sensitive or being dramatic or something as a kid that, you know, it hurt so bad. But when I got older and started needing tampons and I couldn't wear them because it was too painful to, you know, insert them, um, we had to kind of do some some more tests and surgeries and figure out what was going on. And um, essentially what had happened was I had some internal membrane. So some of the skin that's supposed to be on the inside of your body um, was actually exposed and on the outside. And um, that, that type of skin is so sensitive that whenever anything touched it, it was extremely painful. So I was not being overly dramatic as my mother likes to tell me. And... Uh, I had to have that fixed, so I had a surgery to fix that. Um, Now everything's okay with that aspect of my life, but I know a lot of other people who have bladder estrophy have a lot worse stories when it comes to things like that. On the other side of things, you know, outside of seeing specialists, I also had my regular pediatrician doctor, um, and as I got you know, a a little bit more into childhood, I guess. My mom has told me that, you know, the pediatricians didn't know really how to help me or really how to treat me um, just because bladder estrophy is so rare and causes so many other issues and no one had ever dealt with it before in our area. And, um, you know, they, they didn't know what to do. So 
we we kind of just bounced around, didn't really see anyone specific for a long time. Um, the urologists in our town actually did turn me down as a patient. Um, my case was too complicated, were the words that I was told as a kid, as to why no one wanted to see me. Um, so for a long time as well, um, just for in-town care, I didn't have anyone to go to. I remember... Um, I actually went to a lot of doctors on duties for a while just for, you know, if I had poison oak or a cold or anything like that, just because I didn't have a regular doctor that my mom could take me to. Um, luckily, though, when I was a preteen, we finally found a private physician in our area who we wound up setting up a meeting with her. And um, I remember we were in her office and it was, you know, I mean, it was, it was interview style. You're getting to know each other, talking about, you know, our, our, <laughs> our case <laughs> or, uh, you know, my health history and kind of what's going on with, with me on my end and, um, you know, her expertise and all those types of things. And I mean, right off the bat, she just rattled off a few things that she could do to help with some of the things that I was having issues with, like having an allergic reaction to poison oak being one thing off the top of my head that she just, as soon as we mentioned it, prattled off a bunch of different medications she could give a shot that, you know, doctors on duties had never mentioned to us before. Um, and at the end of the meeting, instead of her, you know, saying, do you, you know, I don't want to take your case or anything like that. Or, or instead at the end of having my mom ask like, okay, will you take my kid as your patient? This doctor actually asked us if she could be my doctor. And we had been so used to being rejected that we, I think we both went into shock right then and there, <laughs> just being asked that. So we were really lucky to find her. I still see her today, actually. She's pretty fantastic. Um, she does, you know, from, from far away. We do video chat visits and phone calls. And whenever I'm in town for the holidays, I'll go in and actually see her. And um, I mean, she knows everything about my medical history. She's been really fantastic for me um and my growing up and being healthy um all right so let's talk about kind of things now for me as an adult um I have a pretty steady lifestyle at this point you know I have a home uh with my boyfriend and our dog and I work freelance so I can kind of set my own hours which is really nice um it makes it a you know it enables me to see doctors whenever I need to see them instead of scheduling around a nine to five, which is what I did for a really long time, um, which is just also frustrating, you know, having to see a doctor before or after you go into work or also on your day off when you just want to relax. Um, so there's that. I, I do have a pretty good lifestyle with that right now. I do have issues that I have to continue to look out for, you know, all of the kidney issues that I had um, growing up in relation to, of course, the bladder estrophy, um, can cause high blood pressure, which, uh, I have, and I've had it since I was about 20 years old. So when I, um, left my community college at home and moved away for university, I was on blood pressure medication and we were experimenting with how high of a dose to take and those types of things. Um, 
so we we do check my creatinine levels every time I have a blood draw, um, you know, a regular panel of tests. We, we test for specific things as well for me and keep an eye on that. The creatinine level um, will tell you about your kidney functions and if you need to look into possibly seeing um, a nephrologist or if you have any um, kidney disease happening. Um, so that's a good thing to monitor. Um, which is another thing that bladder estrophy can cause actually, um, is kidney disease at a fairly young age. I have read a few times and been told a few times by different doctors that, um, kidney disease can happen to people in general, women and, and men, um, who have bladder estrophy can get it usually in their late thirties, early forties, which is fairly early to get kidney disease. So definitely something to keep track of. Um, so those are kind of some of the medical things that I have to keep an eye out for on the daily. So in terms of private life, now that we've talked about things on the medical side and health side of being an adult, um, with relationships, I now have to think about what it's going to be like during pregnancy. Um, there is some statistics, I'm not quite sure on the, on the numbers, I couldn't quite find solid numbers on it, but it has been mentioned in several different places that um, women who were born with bladder astrophy do have difficulties during pregnancy. So that is one thing to think about is what kind of difficulties will I be having and how will that affect, you know, my child during, you know, gestation and all that. Um, in addition, there, you know, they do suggest for women with bladder astrophy to have a cesarean, a C-section, um, if you are planning on having a baby. Another thing to think about with pregnancy and having bladder astrophy is, you know, will you also potentially give this birth defect to your kid? And um, the statistics that I found on that are that if you're a woman having a kid that you have a one in 70 chance of your child having bladder estrophy as well. So that's another thing to think about when planning for your future family and having a medical problem is will they also be born with it? Is it genetic? Was it created from just circumstance? And uh, uh, unfortunately with what I have it is it is genetic. All right, so for a little wrap-up here, um, bladder estrophy is completely treatable. Um, patients can see a relatively normal life now. Over the last 15 years, there has been a lot of growth in this community in terms of available treatments and research for doctors. And, um, I mean, if my kid was born with, with bladder estrophy, he would have a much better chance than I did at having a normal life, and, and I've had a fairly normal life. So... I think the chances are pretty good there. Um, all of my research for today's podcast came from either rarediseases.org, Seattle Children's Hospital website, the Mayo Clinic website, or the hopkinsmedicine.org, um, as well as just a few little things that I pulled from my own memory of discussions that I've had with doctors. Um, I know this episode has been very informational, not just on me, but on bladder estrophy as a whole. 
I hope in future episodes to expand the discussion to include other types of birth disorders and childhood illnesses, and also to talk more um, in depth about some of the things um, or challenges that we face um, as that. Thanks so much for listening and tune in next time.